last Monday I was planning on working on my sermon for today. I also intended to stop by the bank and the post office. Then I realized that it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and we're all closed. So as I sat down and began my thoughts, put them together, I got to thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. I'm, I'm certainly old enough to remember the civil rights movement in the 60s, but then I was young enough to not really be affected by what was taking place outside my little personal theory. I remember some of his speeches, but more than not, from, from Signal TV in the years since. Didn't really remember the significance, wasn't aware of the significance of them at the time. He gave his famous I Have a Dream speech on my, the eve of my birthday in 1963. I was in the Air Force at the time and, and really wasn't all that interested in what was going on in Washington. I was a little bit more concerned with what was happening in Southeast Asia. While King's message of the 60s focused largely on the plight of the black man in America, if we stop to listen closely to what it was he was saying, we can hear some of the words from this morning's reading and the words of that black southern preacher. King talked about the poor, the underprivileged, the abused, the oppressed, and in some sense that's what Jesus was saying when he read to the people in the synagogue 2,000 years ago. He said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and had come to bring the good news to the poor. He said he'd come to proclaim release to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free. Now, I'm not attempting to carry the comparison between Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr. any further than that. Other than to say that, that throughout history, I think God has, has raised up men to call our attention to the cries of the needy world. And maybe Martin Luther King Jr. was one of those men. This morning's gospel lesson tells of the day when Jesus returned to Nazareth for the first time after having been baptized by John the Baptist to the Jordan River. Jesus returns home and he goes to the synagogue and he's asked to read and speak to the people who had come to worship. Now in the synagogue at Nazareth, they would not have had a regular minister, a rabbi, as we think in the Jewish worship today. They've been an officer of the church who have had the responsibility each week to ask someone to read an Old Testament lesson. Remember, they didn't have the same Old Testament we do. They just had a few books. But they'd be asked to, to read one of the lessons and then to comment on it. And the scripture tells us that Jesus had been traveling in Galilee and apparently people had begun to take notice of this new young rabbi. And he was being praised for his ability to speak to the people in a very powerful and meaningful way. And so when he came to natural, natural, excuse me, it was only natural that he would have been asked in the synagogue to speak to the people on Sunday or on the Sabbath. We don't know if Jesus requested a specific scroll for which to read or if he simply read the one that was given to him by this, this, the, uh, the official. What we do know is that the passage that he read from that day was from the prophet Isaiah. And it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery to the side of the blind, and let the oppressed go free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If we look at, at Isaiah's writing, it's obvious that the prophet was describing his own role to the children of Israel while they were in exile. But only in a, in a limited way. This certainly is a description of the Messiah who would come one day to rescue God's chosen people. And it certainly describes Jesus' ministry here on earth very adequately, doesn't it? 
When Jesus had finished reading to the people, he sat down and began to talk to him. It was the ancient custom for a teacher to sit when they spoke. So you won't excuse me. <laughs> That's where we get the idea of a chairman or the chair of a department, a university. He was the one who was recognized as speaking with authority. And he would sit when he spoke. So Jesus sat down and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now we have 2,000 years of study and theology to reflect on when we hear these words. It's, it's easy for us to see and understand what Jesus meant when he said these words. We can see that he was telling the people, Isaiah was writing about me. I'm the one to whom God's Spirit rests. And God has sent me here to do the very things that Isaiah prophesied about. And you and I have no problem understanding the words that Jesus spoke. But if we were to read on in Luke's Gospel, we'd see that the people in Nazareth had no understanding whatsoever. They were furious that he could make such a claim. They even attempted to take him out of town and throw him off a cliff. The scripture we'll read next week says that he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And we have no more explanation other than that. I'm not sure whether the people were upset over Jesus' claim of having had God's Spirit on him, or if they were outraged that he was telling them that they needed to tend to the, to the needs of the poor and the oppressed. Throughout history, we have had those in need in every generation and every society. In fact, Jesus even told his disciples that the needy would always be with us. Maybe he knew that although there would always be those who would be there to reach out to those in need, that there'd just never be enough care and help make the need go away. I don't know. I do know that when we watch the actions of Jesus during his short time here on earth, that he never passed up an opportunity to minister to those in need, and we can learn from his example. There's been a lot of talk in recent years about concerning faith-based ministries to those in need. There was a time when we wouldn't have needed to talk about those kind of problems because community churches realized that their responsibility was to help those in need whenever and wherever they were. But somewhere along the way, we, we became comfortable letting the government or other social agencies take that responsibility. A responsibility that's always been meant to be a part of sharing the good news of Christ with those in need. I think you folks here at St. Dunstan's can take a certain pride in the various ways that you're found to reach out in your community to lend a helping hand at certain times of the year as well as those things that go on a weekly basis. That's something to be proud of. But there will always be an initial area where a helping hand is needed and the church is meant to always be looking for those opportunities to reach beyond these walls into our community and beyond. Some of you know that I've been actively involved with Food for Poor for the last several years. Some of you have supported me in that ministry. I work with a, with a number of mostly Episcopal churches across the country. And last year we built a school and a community center along with a half a dozen homes in Nicaragua. I was there in March to dedicate those facilities. I'm looking forward to going this year to Dominican Republic where we're dedicating two clinics and two pharmacies that we're building there. Now I'm looking forward to determining what this year's project's going to be and seeing how much I can encourage others to join in our effort to reach out to those in need. Now, how might we connect Luke's Gospel with Paul's letter to the Corinthians? 
In Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he was writing to a troubled congregation. Paul's letter infers that the church was divided. It was a church where there were disputes among its membership. Lord, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Certainly not here. And yet in verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ. And he says this is an affirmation of the church. He might as well or could have said, In spite of yourself, you're still meant to be the body of Christ. Now I've had the opportunity to speak to this lesson on numerous occasions. This reading is the basis for one of the talks that we have on the Kairos Prison Weekend that I've given dozens of times. And on the, on the Kairos Weekend, these words from Paul are used in what we call the commitment service. We talk about how we're meant to be a part of the common body and how we're called to commit ourselves to keeping the body of Christ strong and healthy by our faithfulness to that one body. And to the best of my knowledge, in every sermon, nearly every occasion, I've always stressed the importance of the body. Seeing and recognizing that we're all different, and yet we all have a meaningful contribution to make. I've talked about how we can learn to rely on one another. How if one part of the body suffers, we'll all suffer. If one part's glad, we all rejoice together. I've talked about how no one part of the body is better than another part. How each has been given a certain gift and we have a role to perform within the body. In every sermon, I'm always focused on how we are all members of the body of Christ. And that's certainly one of the critical messages that Paul had to this early New Testament church. And it's certainly a lesson that we still need to understand today. But I've discovered that sometimes, you know, you can read a passage of Scripture that you've read dozens of times. And all of a sudden, you see something you've never seen before. And it hits you. Where'd that come from? I've been reading this familiar lesson while working on a sermon and thinking in the back of my mind, you know, well, I've already squeezed about as much juice out of this lesson as I can. What more can I say? And then something jumps up and grabs you and you say, where did that come from? That's what we mean when we talk about asking God to speak to us when we study His Word. Lord, what is it that you need me to hear today as I read this lesson? If, if you'll quietly and reverently say that prayer as you read God's Word, you may just discover that God will speak to you through His Word. We don't call it the Word of God for nothing. In the past, when I've read these words, I've always read them, you are the body of Christ. My focus has always seemed to be on that body. Seeing that sense of oneness within the church and recognizing Christ as the head of the church. Now, I still believe that's a valid message. But what happened last week was something that I discovered. What a false message. Now, what happened was I discovered a new message. Paul says much of his early part of his first letter to the church in Corinth by telling them that they ought to be ashamed to call themselves Christians, acting the way they were. He chides them for their fussing and feuding and ignorance concerning the doctrine of the church. He calls them to task for their petty divisions and their disloyalty to the work that's been placed before them to spread the gospel. And then after having said all that, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ. You are. You are the body of Christ. It's another one of those subtle things. Paul didn't say you ought to be the body of Christ. Or if you work hard, maybe someday you'll become the body of Christ. He didn't describe that as being worthy gold. 
something that we should strive for. No, he just flat out said, you are the body of Christ. That was an amazing thing to read. It may be a troublesome thing to the first century church. It may be an amazing and troublesome thing here this morning. We've all heard people who have said something like, well, you know, I consider myself a Christian, but I'm just not really big on organized religion. Someone told me just last week that they, they needed to work some things out in their life before they really could feel comfortable taking an active part in the church. And all I could say was, well, if you're waiting to straighten out your life on your own, you're missing out on why the church exists. Most of us here this morning are here because we recognize we need God's help. Not only in straightening out our lives, but in helping us to keep them straight on a daily basis. Someone said one time, they didn't come to church because the only people who were here were sinners and hypocrites. And I thought, all more reason to come. We'll feel right at home. <laughs> even Jesus told his disciples that a healthy person didn't need a physician. Jesus said he didn't come to seek and save the lost sick. You and I are here this morning because we know that we need God's help in our daily lives. And we've discovered that this is the best place to find that help. Paul didn't say you'll be the body of Christ when you get your act together. Thank goodness. He didn't say you'll be the body of Christ when you're all working on the same page together. He didn't say you'll be the body of Christ when you're all one accord. No, Paul said now you are the body of Christ. What comes to mind when you hear those words? What does the body of Christ represent to you? What is your understanding of those words? The body of Christ is this church here now. I'm not talking this morning about the church worldwide. I'm not talking about the, the Holy Catholic Church that we refer to in the Creed each week. I'm not even talking about the Episcopal Church in the United States. That's a mess that only God can straighten out someday. It's only good time. Carol got a little plaque one year for Christmas and said, God teaches us patience by making us learn to live on His time. And we all need to remember that when we're getting so frustrated because things aren't moving as fast as we'd like them to. The church ain't going the direction that we'd like. If God is truly in control, let me say it again, if God is truly in control, and I believe He is, then we need to get used to doing things on His timetable, not ours. A little patience can go a long way in discerning God's will for our lives. Now, what is it that the body of Christ is supposed to be doing on earth? What is it that Jesus said? He'd come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that's not a calendar year. That's a time when the salvation of the Lord is meant to be proclaimed. And that's what we're meant to be doing here. Not just counting time until we're called to be with Him in heaven someday. We're meant right now to be sharing the good news of the gospel with others within church. Jesus never missed an opportunity to impress on his followers his deep compassion that he had for a lost world. Everything he did and said was motivated by that passion. His final words for his disciples was to go out into the world and what spread the good news. And that challenge and commission hadn't changed. That's still the task that's before the body of Christ today. The psalmist wrote, from the rising of the sun to the going down, let the name of the Lord be praised. May that truly be what we're about here this morning in the days to come. But we're not just called to come together on Sunday mornings in order to praise God as a worshiping congregation. You and I are called as individuals to share the good news of the gospel with the world in need. Find someone this week 
Tell them that God loves them. That's a small thing to do. But it's a good first step. God bless you. And then you'll find somebody else that needs to hear those same words. Don't pass up an opportunity to be a witness because remember you for the church. Church doesn't, doesn't exist without its people. Church can't talk, but you can. And that's what each and every one of us have been called to do.